welcome to the latest Savings Guru podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Hyam today, who is the Head of Business Development for Hargreaves Lansdowne Active Savings. Welcome to the show, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit more about the Hargreaves Lansdowne Active Savings proposition. Obviously, Hargreaves Lansdowne such a strong name in the investment space. Um, what, what made the firm kind of branch off into the cash savings market? probably started in around 2014 uh my boss Stu Loudon was was tasked with looking at ways to better serve for the cash needs of HR clients um so all of all of HR's investment accounts have the ability to hold cash and the balance of that cash at any one time tends to sit between uh roughly eight to twelve percent of HR's total assets under management um that this money probably probably isn't savings in the traditional sense it's it's money typically earmarked for investment so on the way in or on the way out or waiting for an opportunity to invest um, however it is it is a really big pile of money and it doesn't earn clients much interest in the current setup and at the time we didn't really have many alternatives for this cash so initially we were thinking how do we better serve this cash and once we started looking into it um, and talking to clients it became quite apparent that Many HR clients were holding significant balances in their current accounts, in high street bank savings accounts. There was also a significant group of them actively managing their savings across multiple banks and building societies. So that really got us thinking, there must be a better way for clients to manage this cash, um, both for those not earning much on the high street and those managing you know, accounts across multiple providers. And there, re- there really hadn't been a great deal of innovation in this space for for a number of years. I think that there were a few small cash platforms around at the time, but but no big names. Uh, and then we had the um, around about the same time the FCA released that that 2015 cash market study, which really highlighted the structural issues in the savings market around things like transparency, customer apathy, low switching volumes. And I think that that report really galvanized us and confirmed to us that we were we were along the right path um, and we were building something that was going to be genuinely useful to, to, to customers and ultimately to banks um, so it's it's really a similar story to you know, HL trying to get customers a better deal by driving changes in the investment industry 30 years ago you know, we asked ourselves why, why isn't managing a portfolio of savings as easy as it is managing a portfolio of investments. So we, we, we set about building a service that addressed those issues. You've been involved with the company for quite some time as well as been involved in active savings. So tell us a bit about your background. I think I've been there 10, 10 years, three months and 15 odd days, not counting. <laughs> HL was my first proper employer after leaving university. I mean, I, I yeah. re- rebelled against the rat race a bit initially, and I actually headed out to America to work as a skydive instructor on a mobile wind tunnel, of all things. We traveled all over the US teaching college students how to skydive, which it was a lot of fun. It wasn't really a long term thing, and I think it felt like I was avoiding getting stuck into a career. Uh, so I came back to the UK. Skydiving to uh, cash savings is some, <laughs> some some pathway. Quite a leap, if you excuse the. Yeah, place. yeah. Uh, so I came back to the UK. Um, ended up taking a job at HL on one of their telephone teams during the kind of busy end of the tax year season, and they traditionally draw in a lot of people. Um, really, a fantastic introduction to retail financial services, and a great way to get to know that company and and, and its customers. I mean, I still remember my first phone call after I'd finished the training, and I think. I think the client could sense that I was quite fresh, gave me a really hard time. Um, I think oh, no. 
Yeah, it, was, it was actually fairly brutal. It nearly kind of borderline in tears afterwards. Um, but I think I probably learned more in that, that first six months working there than you know, my entire three years at university. So I was, I was so happy to be, to be learning. Um, so I set about working my way up the ladder, had some reasonable successes. Shortly after the Royal Mail IPO in 2013, I actually took over running the investment help desk. So that's the team of you know, lovely people you end up speaking to when you call the main HL number. Um, by the end of my time there, I was running a desk of maybe 100 or so people, mostly of a, of a similar age to me. Whilst I enjoyed that challenge, I'm not sure the job actually suited me that well. Um, I'd, I'd sat exams to become a financial advisor, but that didn't really appeal to me either. I think ultimately I enjoyed problem solving and, and creating things. So when the opportunity to help start a new savings business came around, I, just, I grabbed it with both hands. I met, I met my current boss, Stu. Um, He's been involved in setting up new businesses for HL before and had this kind of entrepreneurial reputation. And you know, after meeting him, I just thought, yep, this is this is a person I want to work for. Uh, he ended up splitting the role in two, hiring another guy called Dave Chapman. So yeah. we we worked together really well from the off. Um, actually ended up becoming really great friends, probably to the point where we finish each other's sentences. He's, <laughs> he's, he's exceptionally good at his job. I mean, he's... He's the brains behind the operation and, in fact, probably the brawn. He does all the heavy lifting. I, I just get rolled out for award dinners and podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we started, the idea was, was still really conceptual at HL. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, at that point, it wasn't, wasn't a great deal more than a few doodles and an A3 piece of paper. Um, but those early days were a lot of fun. It was, it was like working for a startup, but with the backing of a FTSE 100 company. So, you know, you weren't, you weren't worried about getting paid at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, and, and there's a really big team of really great people involved in Active Savings now, and it's been an awesome project to work on. Um, we've been building the platform for six years. We've been live for roughly two years. So, you know, on top of building new products and features, we now have the you know, the very different challenges of running and scaling up a live business. Let's talk about that a, a bit more then. So talk to us about what, what why should a saver go direct to active savings rather than go direct to the bank or go via price comparison site or savings information personal finance blog that sort of thing you know why active savings active savings offers a a simple convenient platform to manage your savings without ever having to physically or digitally go to another bank um, so th- through a single hr login you can manage any amount of savings in any number of products across a range of different banks and building societies. So whether you're building a fixed term bond ladder, spreading money across FSS limits or structuring a savings portfolio, active savings just like completely takes away that hassle. And you can do all of this alongside any of um, any of your other existing HR products if you have them. And it's easy to move money between them. So the rates, the interest rates are as good as you'd get directly from the bank for the same product and the banks we partner with typically pay competitive rates and i knew you'd ask a question like this so i checked the data this morning um we've had at least one market leading rate for 85 percent of the last 18 months um, and the rest are typically top decile or top quartile yeah i think that's, that's quite good that's quite a strong stat we never expected that in, in in the beginning when we were building it so yeah a bit, bit of a result um I think comparison sites are a mixed bag. They, they, they definitely make browsing and selecting products much simpler. Um, but I don't think they make managing your savings any easier. 
they also assume that rate is the only important thing in selecting a product, which we know, as we all know, isn't always true. Um, you still then have to click through to the bank's website and apply. This means forms to fill out, anti-money laundering procedures to go through. You have to give your data to and deal with multiple entities. After that, you've got to maintain different logins. Remember to consolidate it all at tax year end. Yeah, if you're managing more than three accounts, it's, it's a bit of a pain. And some people really don't mind doing that. Um, yeah, if you're willing to devote a Sunday every month to keeping on top of it all, great. Um, I think most people would probably rather have the time back. I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I'm always quite quite shocked by um, by how, how sometimes they almost uh, speak to savers. It's like a badge of honour how many bank accounts that they've got. They've yeah. got to really really enjoy enjoy it. I, 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 I think it turns uh, into a hobby, doesn't it? it? I think it does actually for for, for some. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it is that, and they almost like become interested in quite like how they all operate and why and the differences, uh, but. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they aren't uh, they aren't the majority. Um, so so talk us through about give us a, give us a sense of the size size. And so it's, you know it's quite an attractive proposition for for a saver. There's a lot lot that's cut out. But, um, you know, and we appreciate your uh, your listed company, so uh, you can't divulge um, you know in you know confidential information um, uh, because because there's quite strict rules around what you do. But but but. Yeah, share what you can. Bring bring it to life for us. The latest I'm allowed to give you is half year numbers. So that's financial year. So thirty uh, first of December. Um, yeah. At that point, we had uh, roughly two point nine billion uh, deposits under management and more than fifty thousand active users. Um, so at, at that point, we were brokering about half a billion a month. So that was off the back of kind of NSNI cutting rates late yep. last year um so yeah qu- quite a busy couple of months for us at the end of last year um there's 13 banks on the platform at the moment sorry 12 banks and one building society uh the platform acts like a marketplace so the product set changes all the time um but there's typically between 20 and 35 products available and it's either easy access or fixed term at the moment um and the number of banks and products available will continue to grow over time it's a growing marketplace, isn't it? There's been a number of platforms, marketplaces, call you know, call them which what you will. Uh, regulators, uh, likes deposit aggregators at the at the moment, although no one else really kind of uses that, that terminology. But uh, you know, there's a lot uh, good there for savers in terms of you know one log on access to you know some market leading exclusive rates sometimes. Yeah. Overall, though the the kind of sector accounts for certainly less than one one percent of the market overall what do you think some of the reasons are why we've yet to see the make a you know bigger impact in this space i, I mean I'd, I'd be surprised if it was one percent i i worked out the other day that we were um we were represented one percent of the fixed term deposit market but you know, yeah. point point two or something or point one to five of the, the whole market i mean i think there's a few things going on firstly the savings market is huge there's something like 1.7 trillion of deposits held by uk households so you know, while savings platforms have been growing really fast in their own right they're still we're all still pretty small in the grand scheme of things um secondly i think savings market is still incredibly concentrated as a nation we hold something like two-thirds of our savings in high street banks 
uh, most of us with the bank we have a current account with. And again, for many of us, it's the current account we opened when we were 18. Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of apathy and, and inertia when it comes to savings. I, I remember hearing a fact a few years ago that I think statistically you're more likely to get divorced than, than change bank. Yeah. Um, and, and psychologically, savings are often associated with a feeling of security and safety. Um, it's our liquidity buffer or rainy day money. So I, I, th I think this means decisions about savings are often driven by emotion on some level. And I think for this reason, people generally like to feel that their savings are close enough to be accessed quickly. So what this means in practice is, is that proximity to your current account. And the current account provider is likely to be a high street bank. So much of our savings end up in these savings accounts. And the ironic bit is these, these banks don't want them. You know, ring fencing has left them awash with deposits. So today they pay nothing, zero or 0.01%, which is, is nominally positive, but a, a negative real rate when considering inflation. So leaving large savings balances in accounts for the long term is, is almost a guaranteed way to lose spending power over time. And I think, I think lastly, I think generally awareness of this kind of service is low. You and I are in the industry. These things are on our radar. We talk about them all the time. But for, for most people, they don't hear about it or they probably don't care about things like you know, savings platforms or open banking for that matter. I, uh, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I think um, I, I, I kind of wrestle with with this um, issue you, you talked there about the you know, kind of roughly two thirds, sort of seventy percent, somewhere around that level of of savings still sat with the um, you know the main current account providers, uh, and yeah, that you know despite the influx of uh, new entrants over the last. 10, 11 years, that, that still hasn't really changed significantly, you know, percentage-wise. Um, and some of that's because the savings market is, is massive and, 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 and has continued to grow. So actually the growth each year is quite a bit to take care of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that there, there is that bit and uh, about uh, why is it not moving quicker I, I i guess that on one hand i i get frustrated and then the other on the other hand i look at it and think well actually you've got you know you've got barclays lloyds etc they've been around for over 300 years you know what why would a you know 300 plus 350 year monopoly be be broken up by you know a few new entrants in a uh, over a 10 year period uh, it's going to take it's going to take longer than that isn't it probably that's right. it i mean i i have a current account with Santander and until recently I've had some of my savings there and I didn't, I didn't move it because I didn't need to I, I just need my current account, I need my card to, to make payments, I don't need bells and whistles Yeah and that, 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 is, that is the challenge I, 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 I the, the stat you mentioned now on the, the on divorce and switching your bank account is something I'd like to uh, I'd like to look at in light of uh, um, the current account switching service, whether whether that's actually changed yeah. more recently now, there's a little bit more volume going yeah, through. I think it's a few years old. That's that. Yeah, uh, but uh, but it but it does highlight it is. Um, you, you, you and I both come across plenty of people who've had same current account for 35, 40 years. Okay. Um, we we talking about sort of other other sort of platforms and marketplaces. We, we've obviously seen that Octopus Cash close its doors to new. New customers that I mean they they've cited in the in the current sort of interest rate environment where they um, you know they took a percentage of, of 
the return um, that that was no longer viable because they couldn't see uh, the, the market changing and interest rates rising in, in any time in the future. Um, do, you, do, you think so, do you think we'll see others follow out of the market? Is, in, and if so, do you think that is that a good thing that maybe we see uh, a few stronger and more successful players remain? How do you see it going? Where do you see that? I think the, I mean, the, the commercial environment is really tough. I think clearly a business model that is reducing the economic return of a product to the customer by more than a third is going to struggle in this market. Um, at HR, we've, we've tried in the past having a model where there was a 25 basis point fee taken out of the rate. And in our experience, it, it just didn't work that well. Um, that's why now we, we, we aim to ensure active savings offers rates that are as good as the bank's own rates. Um, I think I think as well that the cost of acquiring customers and growing a business is always considerably higher than anyone anticipates. It's it's not quite a case of if you build it they will come. You, know, you need to marry a great idea with great distribution, and this is probably why the partnership model is so popular as we've seen with with other savings platforms. And I think think this environment will force these platforms to innovate and, and to do so in a way that is very lean and keeps costs low. You, you can't build a business with a route to profitability that, that only works on the basis that interest rates may be higher one day. Um, you know, if you can't make it work in this environment, you, you, you probably have to exit. Yeah. There's, there's a few a few core players now. Um, I don't think they're going to disappear. I think most of the new entrants will probably come through partnerships with those existing savings platforms rather than completely new businesses. Um, as we found out ourselves, Building this this thing from scratch on your own is is not easy. Um, however, that that partnership model puts more pressure on the need for higher fees, um, as there's more mouths to feed, which in turn makes it harder to attract customers and banks. Um, so, it's, commercial environment's tough at the moment. Uh, that's an interesting point. I, I, I agree with you. I think everything that I'm seeing sort of lends itself to. Um, We'll probably see more more players come into the space, but it will be partnering with people who are already providing the platforms rather than so putting that you know effectively uh, arguably putting a stronger overlaying a stronger brand on on an existing platform um, to try to try and cut through. But uh, like, as you said, then that means more mouths to to feed. So yeah. someone's got to pick up the tab for that somewhere along the line. So certainly, certainly going to be an interesting space to see how it develops over the the next sort of few years. Uh, talking of which, what what are your plans? Where where are you going in the in the future? What what can savers expect to see from Harvest Lansdowne in, in terms of product services, etc. In the in the pipeline, we have fairly quietly launched a cash ISA. Uh, it is the first iteration, so at the moment it's new ISA subscriptions only, uh, and it's just one easy access product from Coventry Building Society. Yeah. Over time, plan is to broaden this out to include more products, more banks, include transfers in. Um, so yeah, a multi-bank, multi-product kind of portfolio cash ISA like this hasn't been done yet. Um, so it's, I think it's going to be. Pretty, pretty cool once we get that live um, 
other things we're, we're currently building a maturity process so you can provide rollover instructions ahead of the maturity date we're kind of pushing out the default product feature so that, that's something that lets you set up a rule so any dormant savings in your hub account kind of get automatically swept into an easy access product to make sure it keeps earning interest and there's loads of other stuff in the roadmap like notice accounts regular savings better payments infrastructure more tools and features to help you save um yeah i, I think we'll, we'll be busy for for some time yet um, and, as, and as we mentioned earlier, the general awareness of the service is, is low, even amongst HL's own client base. So we're putting in you know, a considerable amount of effort into spreading the message about this kind of, in our opinion, great way to manage your savings. Yeah. We've, we've, we've seen a massive influx of new entrants we've kind of talked about um, over the last sort of 10, 11 years. So cash plus now. The latest to be authorised, which is number thirty-two since two thousand and ten. But we've seen other other players kind of already licensed banks come into the saving space that weren't previously there as well. Uh, how how does that impact on on platforms and marketplaces? I look after the bank side of the platform day to day, so we, I mean we are a platform for banks as much as we are for the customer. And the way I often position the platform to smaller banks is as a way to help them attract deposits out of the high street banks rather than shuffling deposits around each other. Uh, I think the benefits of this are multifaceted. So the, you know, the client gets to earn up to 50 times more interest in some cases in an FSS protected account. And those smaller banks that actually want the funding can continue to increase their lending and get that money recycled back out into the economy. Um, for, the, for these smaller banks, platforms can offer a way to plug into a digital savings platform with an existing audience of depositors for a, a relatively low cost. Helps with distribution, cost of funding, operational resilience, etc. So I think, I think more new banks entering the market likely gives platforms like ours more choice of product providers, more capacity to grow. Um, I don't really like the term challenger bank. I think it's used very liberally, but but a greater number of smaller banks may mean that more competition is introduced into the market, and we we start to see that dominance of high street banks starting to get eroded over time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of the uh, challenger name. It's been used far too widely, hasn't it? To... Anyone who's not a high street bank, apparently challenger. Bank. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, you know, we're talking about you know the, the, how much the market has changed in a lot of ways over the past decade. Um, what about going forward? Where where do you see the space moving in the in the next few years? What do you think the savings market's going to look like uh, in, in sort of five ten years from now? It's a good question. Um, I guess I'll turn to the data first. So uh, over the last decade or so, I think household deposits grew by what was it? Something six hundred billion, some crazy number. But I think the real story has been in the change in how we save over that period. So yeah, easy access has more than doubled, fixed terms halved in the same time. Uh, easy access is now 80% of the market. And I think it's easy to see why. Ten, you know, 10 years ago, the average reward for, for using a 12-month fix over the average easy access rate was more than 2.3%. Uh, so that was the uplift you'd get. Today, it's less than 0.2% on average. Yeah. So savers are just not rewarded for fixing for longer terms at the moment. So I think we'll see a continuation of, of this trend. Quantitative easing continues to flatten the yield curve, keeping rates lower. I'm sorry, keeping term rates lower. 
So I think in these conditions, customers will prioritize access to money rather than getting a small uplift in yield for locking it up. And easy access under the right conditions also for a bank attracts quite attractive liquidity treatment under the current regulations. So I think banks will continue to use it as a, a source of funding fairly liberally. Um, it's kind of other trends, I think I mean, this, this one's an obvious point, but I think we'll see the, the channel people use to save continue to shift towards online and away from postal and branch, which I mean, baffles me still surprisingly represents a, a really big volume. Um, but I think the pandemic's likely to have moved this on you know, seven or eight years up that adoption curve in the space of 12 months. So even more people doing kind of online banking now. Um, I think this will make things tough for smaller banks and building societies that have probably to date relied quite heavily on on their branch and postal channels for deposits. I think savings platforms will continue to grow. Um, slightly biased in that view, but we'll uh -huh. continue to develop their propositions, um, pr become more widely accepted. I think we're likely to see more services arrive that are facilitated by open banking and open finance. I do think the increasing portability of, of savings clashes somewhat with the bank's kind of general requirement for stable deposits. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, how that develops. On the one hand, you've got the FCA calling for more competition and more switching and savings. On the other hand, you know, banks must run a deposit stable book and they're, they're penalised if they don't. So I think banks are stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but if we see you know, if we see lower rates for longer, I suspect we'll see more banks trying to to innovate with features other than interest rates. So. Like, I mean, it's still quite niche, but I think we'll see more things like green deposits, so you know, where they plant trees or offset carbon footprints. I think that will become more popular as time goes on. That's an interesting point. I think um, I think we'll see more of that too as well, because I, I can't see the drivers for rates increasing significantly from where we're at any time soon. So I think it will create kind of more emotive route like social responsibility or environmental yeah. that might might attract uh savers to to kind of support them maybe more kind of more products that look a bit like premium bonds with that kind of that lottery idea you know, i suspect that'll probably become a bit more popular as well i think that the challenge there is that it's so sewn up by national savings isn't it they have yeah. such a they have such a strong advantage so it's very difficult for um you know, them to be taken on and it it uh i mean it's arguably the nation's save uh favorite savings product isn't it there you've got over 100 105 billion invested in premium bonds and it's growing strongly by you know a billion a month over the last few months so there's no sign of that appetite waning there yeah uh, i think you're right i think we will see more of that kind of I think, I think that's harder for the smaller banks to to launch because it needs scale to to, to generate the prizes, yep. which is what they lack uh, by by their nature in the early days. The one question I ask everyone, uh, which you've kind of teamed me up quite nicely for, there is: if you were the chancellor for the day, uh, what's the what's the change that you would make that you think would bring the biggest benefit to savers? This is an, e an easy one, and you've probably heard this before, but I'd, I'd simplify ISAs. Um, yeah. Stocks and shares, cash, help to buy lifetime, innovative, junior, 
I mean, it's it's becoming complicated. I'd like to see them consolidated somehow. You know, I've I've had the privilege of working for a financial services company for a decade, so to me, it's it's easy to navigate through all of this. But lots of my friends who don't work in the industry just do not save efficiently for their future, and it's often because it's daunting and complicated rather than a lack of will or simply having the means to put money aside. If one of the things the pandemic has shown us is the importance of financial resilience, you don't have to put away a lot to start building that buffer. The secret ingredients are just time and patience. Um, And as a result of a multitude of different forces at play, it feels like much of my generation is slowly sleepwalking into a bit of a savings and retirement crisis. We simply won't have enough money in old age and we'll be working well into our 70s. And that's if the, if the robots haven't already taken our jobs. Um, but I'm, I'm a millennial, and I, I dread to think of the, the cost of avocado toast in 2050. <laughs> 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 Who knows to afford it? Um, but in, in summary, I would, I would back anything that makes it simpler for, for everyone to, to save and invest with confidence. I think that, yeah, that's something that we've, we've strongly advocated for for a while, I think. I think sadly, you may, the, the pandemic is is definitely removing any chance of that happening anytime. Understandably, you have other things that are taking uh, taking up the treasury's time at, at the moment. But uh, that will be something that they will look at too, because I, I agree with you. And uh, sadly, I am old enough to remember Tessas and and Peps, and and, the, and a big part of bringing in ice is was was their simplicity and I think they, were, they did a brilliant job initially and some of the changes over the years to to make them even simpler have been really really positive but uh, the, the Cameron Osborne administration started to tinker around sort of 2015-2016 with, with it and, and that simplicity is now gone we've almost got a nicer for every day of the week yeah it's, it's something we talk about a lot back in Bristol HQ it's, it's certainly something I, I hope will will get addressed. And there's been some decent proposals put forward that that, that could could work. So um, we're going to have to wait for uh, for next year's budget. I think at the earliest for that. But yeah. let, let let's hope. Uh, I, one thing you, you we, we've talked about COVID a little bit, and you mentioned it about the digital adoption, and it's uh, uh, I keep seeing the uh, the little. Uh, means in the round of uh, what's what's driven um digital adoption most the chief technology officer the chief financial officer or covid19 and uh, obviously uh yeah covid has had a massive impact on on digital adoption you sort of talked there about sort of six seven years before and i've seen people talk about it's, it's moving things on by a decade what's your, what's your kind of thoughts on on, on that do you think we will see that kind of continuing to to accelerate or or do you think we're going to end up with a significant minority that kind of you know still want that kind of branch postal um you know high touch point service um and and and, and how do we get around that it's an interesting question i think as we emerge and hopefully kind of head back into a normal world i think that adoption will probably slow. I think there will be a, a rump of people who just steadfastly refuse to to entertain the ideas of iPhones and, and computers, and we'll you know, we'll take their passbook into the branch, and, and we'll do it until the day they die. Um, so I think there will be you know, that rump of business will continue for 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 some time yet. Um, 
but I think it, it'll now be a minority. I think we'll be emerging into much different markets now where where, where much more, I mean, many more people are comfortable doing everything online. Um, you know, my, my parents wouldn't wouldn't have bothered before. Now they're you know, zooming around, getting shopping delivered online, um, getting their groceries delivered, online banking, everything, and they're more than comfortable with it. Yeah, I've certainly seen that too. I think it's, it's interesting. I'd say a lot of the banks are kind of trying to uh, to force that uh, along by closing off you know, branches is increased uh, closure. I think some of that's definitely because the, the need for them is going to be less, but I think some of that's also opportunities to jump on the uh, to jump on the bandwagon and use that as a chance to to accelerate things. So, but uh, it's going to be going to be fascinating but i hope you know from a from a savings platform the marketplace hopefully that will be uh, something that's positive in terms of that digital adoption yeah i mean we've, we've talked about how at the moment active savings is, is online only um there's, there's a couple of things we can do over the phone but it's, it's an online only service um we've kind of talked at length you know, can can we create a version that works over the phone and you know, through the post and it's quite difficult because of the nature of that, that marketplace model. Um, you know, we could send someone some you know, rate card in the post that would have all of the products available. By the time they've looked at it and come back to us with some choices, things would have moved on a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And the rates might uh, not be there anymore. Yeah. It's, it's something that would be very tricky, wouldn't it, to do that way? Well, it's been... It's been a fascinating conversation. I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I think uh, I think our uh, our listeners will certainly learn a lot more about savings platforms. So thank thank you very much for coming on and talking to us, Tom. It's been it's been really interesting. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. Mm-hmm.